Caesar and Cleopatra by George Bernard Shaw. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae Belzenor and First Auxiliary Read by Scott Molson The Persian and Second Auxiliary Read by Chuck Williamson The Sentinel and Soldiers Read by Larry Wilson Bell Afris and First Porter Read by Rick Rodstrom The Guardsman and Second Porter Read by Algie Pug the Women and Charmian. Read by Elizabeth Clatt. Tata Tita. Read by Capricia Page. The Nubian Sentinel. Third Porter and Musician. Read by Libby Gone. Caesar. Read by Bob Neufeld. Cleopatra. Read by Amanda Friday. Pothinus. Read by Cliff Thompson. Theodotus and the official read by miriam esther goldman achilles fourth porter and the second official read by bruce perry rufio read by ron altman britannus read by g m Priswara. courtiers and majordomo read by algie pag lucius and boatman read by dustin tuttle a centurion recorded by titus e garnett a nubian a nubian sentinel and apollodorus read by todd ptolemy read by victoria iris read by don duncan narrator read by denny sayers end of dramatis personae act one an October night on the Syrian border of Egypt, towards the end of the 33rd dynasty, in the year 706 by Roman computation, afterwards reckoned by Christian computation as 48 B.C. A great radiance of silver fire, the dawn of a moonlit night, is rising in the east, the stars and the cloudless sky, are our own contemporaries nineteen and a half centuries younger than we know them but you would not guess that from their appearance below them are two notable drawbacks of civilization a palace and soldiers the palace an old low syrian building of whitened mud is not so ugly as buckingham palace and the officers in the courtyard are more highly civilized than modern english officers for example they do not dig up the corpses of their dead enemies and mutilate them as we dug up cromwell and the mahdi they are in two groups one intent on the gambling of their captain belzenor a warrior of fifty who with his spear on the ground beside his knee is stooping to throw dice with a sly-looking young Persian recruit. The other gathered about a guardsman, who has just finished telling a naughty story, still current in English barracks, 
at which they are laughing uproariously. They are about a dozen in number, all highly aristocratic young Egyptian guardsmen, handsomely equipped with weapons and armor, very un-English in point of not being ashamed of and uncomfortable in their professional dress. On the contrary, rather ostentatiously and arrogantly warlike as valuing themselves on their military caste belzenor is a typical veteran tough and wilful prompt capable and crafty where brute force will serve helpless and boyish when it will not an efficient sergeant an incompetent general a deplorable dictator would if influentially connected be employed in the last two capacities by a modern european state on the strength of his success in the first is rather to be pitied just now in view of the fact that julius caesar is invading his country not knowing this is intent on his game with the persian whom as a foreigner he considers quite capable of cheating him his subalterns are mostly handsome young fellows whose interest in the game and the story symbolizes with tolerable completeness the main interests in life of which they are conscious their spears are leaning against the walls or lying on the ground ready to their hands the corner of the courtyard forms a triangle of which one side is the front of the palace with a doorway the other a wall with a gateway the storytellers are on the palace side the gamblers on the gateway side close to the gateway against the wall is a stone block high enough to enable a nubian sentinel standing on it to look over the wall the yard is lighted by a torch stuck in the wall as the laughter from the group around the storyteller dies away the kneeling persian winning the throw snatches up the stake from the ground by a peace persian thy gods are good to thee try it again o captain double or quits no more i am not in the vein poising his javelin as he peers over the wall stand who goes there they all start listening a strange voice replies from without the bearer of evil tidings calling to the sentry pass him grounding his javelin draw near o bearer of evil tidings pocketing the dice and picking up his spear let us receive this man with honour he bears evil tidings the guardsmen seize their spears and gather about the gate leaving a way through for the newcomer rising from his knee are evil tidings then honourable o barbarous persian hear my instruction in egypt the bearer of good tidings is sacrificed to the gods as a thanks-offering but no god will accept the blood of the messenger of evil when we have good tidings we are careful to send them in the mouth of the cheapest slave we can find evil tidings are borne by young noblemen who desire to bring themselves into notice they joined the rest at the gate pass o young captain and bow the head in the house of the queen 
go anoint thy javelin with fat of swine o blackamoor for before morning the romans will make thee eat it to the very butt the owner of the voice a fair-haired dandy dressed in a different fashion to that affected by the guardsmen but no less extravagantly comes through the gateway laughing he is somewhat battle-stained and his left forearm bandaged comes through a torn sleeve in his right hand he carries a roman sword in its sheath he swaggers down the courtyard the persian on his right belzenor on his left and the guardsmen crowding down behind him who art thou that laughest in the house of cleopatra the queen and in the teeth of balzanor the captain of the guard i am bel afris descended of the gods ceremoniously hail cousin all except the persian hail cousin all the queen's guards are descended from the gods o stranger save myself i am persian and descended from many kings to the guardsmen hail cousins to the persian condescendingly hail mortal you have been in battle belzephrys and you are a soldier among soldiers you will not let the queen's woman have your first tidings i have no tidings except that we shall have our throats cut presently women soldiers and all to belzenor i told you so the sentinel who has been listening Whoa alas calling to him peace peace poor ethiop destiny is with the gods who painted thee black to belzenor what has this mortal indicating the persian told you he says that julius caesar who has landed on our shores with a handful of followers will make himself master of egypt he is afraid of roman soldiers the guardsmen laugh with boisterous scorn peasants brought up to scare crows and follow the plough sons of smiths and millers and tanners and we nobles consecrated to arms descended from the gods belzenor the gods are not always good to their poor relations hotly to the persian man to man are we worse then than the slaves of caesar stepping between them listen cousin man to man we egyptians are as gods above the romans exultingly ah. but this caesar does not pit man against man he throws a legion at you where you are weakest as he throws a stone from a catapult and that legion is as a man with one head a thousand arms and no religion i have fought against them and i know derisively were you frightened cousin the guardsmen roar with laughter their eyes sparkling at the wit of their captain no cousin but i was beaten they were frightened perhaps but they scattered us like chaff the guardsmen much damped utter a growl of contemptuous disgust could you not die no that was too easy to be worthy of a descendant of the gods besides there was no time all was over in a moment the attack came just where we least expected it that shows that the romans are cowards 
They care nothing about cowardice, these Romans. They fight to win. The pride and honor of war are nothing to them. Tell us the tale of the battle. What befell? Gathering eagerly around Belafris. Hey, the tale of the battle. Know then that I am a novice in the guard of the Temple of Ra in Memphis, serving neither Cleopatra nor her brother Ptolemy, but only the high gods. We went a journey to inquire of Ptolemy why he had driven Cleopatra into Syria, and how we of Egypt should deal with the Roman Pompey, newly come to our shores after his defeat by Caesar at Pharsalia. What, think ye, did we learn? Even that Caesar is coming also in hot pursuit of his foe, and that Ptolemy has slain Pompey, whose severed head he holds in readiness to present to the conqueror. Sensation among the guardsmen. Nay, more. We found that Caesar is already come, for we had not made half a day's journey on our way back when we came upon a city rabble flying from his legions, whose landing they had gone out to withstand. Ye, the temple guards, did you not withstand these legions? What man could that we did? But there came the sound of a trumpet whose voice was as the cursing of a black mountain. Then we saw a moving wall of shields coming towards us. You know how the heart burns when you charge a fortified wall. But how if the fortified wall were to charge you? Exulting in having told them so. Did I not say it? When the wall came nigh, it changed into a line of men, common fellows enough, with helmets, leather tunics, and breastplates. Every man of them flung his javelin. The one that came my way drove through my shield as through a papyrus. Lo, there! He points to the bandage on his left arm. And would have gone through my neck had I not stooped. They were charging at the double, then and were upon us with short swords almost as soon as their javelins. When a man is close to you with such a sword, you can do nothing with our weapons. They are all too long. What did you do? Doubled my fist and smote my Roman on the sharpness of his jaw. He was but mortal after all. He lay down in a stupor. I took his sword and laid it on. Drawing the sword. Lo, a Roman sword with Roman blood on it. Approvingly. Good. They take the sword and hand it round, examining it curiously. And your men? Fled, scattered like sheep. Furiously. The cowardly slaves, leaving the descendants of the gods to be butchered. With acid coolness. The descendants of the gods did not stay to be butchered, cousin. The battle was not to the strong, but the race was to the swift. The Romans, who have no chariots, sent a cloud of horsemen in pursuit, and slew multitudes. Then our high priest's captain rallied a dozen descendants of the gods, and exhorted us to die fighting. I said to myself, surely it is safer to stand than to lose my breath and be stabbed in the back. So I joined our captain and stood. Then the Romans treated us with respect, for no man attacks a lion when the field is full of sheep, except for the pride and honor of war, of which these Romans know nothing. So we escaped with our lives, and I am come to warn you that you must open your gates to Caesar, for his advance guard is scarce an hour behind me, 
and not an Egyptian warrior is left standing between you and his legions. Woe, alas! He throws down his javelin and flies into the palace. Nail him to the doors, quick! The guardsmen rush for him with their spears, but he is too quick for them. Now this news will run through the palace like fire through stubble. What shall we do to save the women from the Romans? Why not kill them? Because we should have to pay blood money for some of them. <laughs> Better let the Romans kill them. It is cheaper. Awestruck at his brain power. Oh, subtle one. Oh, serpent. But your queen. True. We must carry off Cleopatra. Will ye not await her command? Command? A girl of sixteen. Not we. At Memphis ye deem her a queen. Here we know better. I will take her on the crupper of my horse. When we soldiers have carried her out the Caesar's reach, then the priest and the nurse and the rest of them can pretend she is queen again and put their commands in her mouth. Listen to me, Belzenor. Speak, O oh, subtle beyond thy years. Cleopatra's brother Ptolemy is at war with her. Let us sell her to him. O oh, oh, subtle one, O serpent. We dare not. We are descended from the gods, but Cleopatra is descended from the river Nile, and the lands of our fathers will grow no grain if the Nile rises not to water them. Without our father's gifts, we should live the lives of dogs. It is true. The queen's guard cannot live on its pay. But hear me further, O ye kinsmen of Osiris. Speak, Osiris, hear the serpent begotten. Have I heretofore spoken truly to you of Caesar, when you thought I mocked you? Truly, truly. Reluctantly admitting it. So Belafries says. Hear more of him, then. This Caesar is a great lover of women. He makes them his friends and counselors. <laughs> this rule of women will be the ruin of Egypt. Let it rather be the ruin of Rome. Caesar grows old now. He is past fifty and full of labors and battles. He is too old for the young women, and the old women are too wise to worship him. Take heed, Persian. Caesar is by this time almost within earshot. Cleopatra is not yet a woman. Neither is she wise. But she already troubles men's wisdom. Aye, this is because she is descendant of the River Nile and a black kitten of the secret white cat. What then? Why, sell her secretly to Ptolemy, and then offer ourselves to Caesar as volunteers to fight for the overthrow of her brother and the rescue of our queen, the great-granddaughter of the Nile. Oh, serpent! He will listen to us if we come with her... <laughs> picture in our mouths he will conquer and kill her brother and reign in egypt with cleopatra for his queen and we shall be her guard
He will also have arrived before you have done talking, O word spinner. This is true. An affrighted uproar in the palace interrupts him. Quick! The fight is begun! Guard the door! They rush to the door and form a cordon before it with their spears. A mob of women servants and nurses surges out. Those in front recoil from the spears, screaming to those behind to keep back. Belzenor's voice dominates the disturbance as he shouts, Back there! In again unprofitable cattle! Back, Back unprofitable, unprofitable cattle! cattle. Send us out, Tatatita, the queen's chief nurse. Calling into the palace. Tatatita! Tatatita! Come! Come, speak to Belzenor! Oh, keep back! You were thrusting me on the spearheads! A huge, grim woman, her face covered with a network of tiny wrinkles, and her eyes old, large, and wise. Sinewy-handed, very tall, very strong, with the mouth of a bloodhound and the jaws of a bulldog, appears on the threshold. She is dressed like a person of consequence in the palace, and confronts the guardsman insolently. Make way for the queen's chief nurse. With solemn arrogance. Tatatita, I am Belzenor, the captain of the queen's guard. Descendant from the gods. Retorting his arrogance with interest. Belzenor, I am Tatatita, the queen's chief nurse, and your divine ancestors were proud to be painted on the walls in the pyramids of the kings, whom my father served. The women laugh triumphantly, with grim humor. Tatatita. Daughter of a long-tongued-swivel-eyed chameleon, the Romans are at hand. A cry of terror from the women. They would fly but for the spears. Not even the descendants of gods can resist them, for each have men of seven arms, each carrying seven spears. The blood in their veins is boiling, Quicksilver, and their wives become mothers in three hours, and are slain at even the next day. A shudder of horror from the women. Tatatita, despising them and scorning the soldiers, pushes her way through the crowd and confronts the spear points undismayed. Then fly and save yourselves, O cowardly sons of the cheap clay gods that are sold to fish porters, and leave us to shift for ourselves. Not until you've first done our bidding. O oh, terror of manhood, bring out Cleopatra the queen to us, and then go whither you will. With a derisive laugh. <laughs> now I know why the gods have taken her out of our hands. The guardsmen start and look at one another. Know thou, foolish soldier, that the queen has been missing since an hour past sundown? Furiously. Hag! You have hidden her to sell to Caesar, her brother. He grasps her by the left wrist, and drags her, helped by a few of the guard, to the middle of the courtyard, where, as they fling her on her knees, he draws a murderous-looking knife. Where is she? 
Where is she? Oh. He threatens to cut her throat. Savagely. Touch me, dog, and the Nile will not rise on your fields for seven times, seven years of famine. Frightened, but desperate. I will sacrifice. I will pay or stay. To the Persian. You, O subtle one, your father's lands lie far from the Nile. Slay her. Threatening her with his knife. Persia has but one god, yet he loves the blood of old women. Where is Cleopatra? Persian. As Osiris lives, I do not know. I chide her for bringing evil days upon us by talking to the sacred cats of the priests and carrying them in her arms. I told her she would be left alone here when the Romans came as a punishment for her disobedience. And now she is gone, run away, hidden. I speak the truth. I call Osiris to witness. Protesting officiously. She speaks the truth, Balzanor. You'll fragment, child. She is hiding. Search! Quick into the palace, search every corner. The guards, led by Belzenor, shoulder their way into the palace, through the flying crowd of women who escape through the courtyard gate, screaming. Sacrilege! Men in the queen's chambers, sir! Her voice dies away as the Persian puts his knife to her throat laying his hand on Tatatita's left shoulder. Forbear her yet a moment, Persian. To Tatatita, very significantly. Mother, your gods are asleep or away hunting, and the sword is at your throat. Bring us to where the queen is hid, and you shall live. Contemptuously. Who shall stay the sword in the hand of a fool, if the high gods put it there? Listen to me, ye young men without understanding. Cleopatra fears me, but she fears the Romans more. There is but one power greater in her eyes than the wrath of the queen's nurse and the cruelty of Caesar, and that is the power of the sphinx that sits in the desert watching the way to the sea. What she would have it know, she tells into the ears of the sacred cats, and on her birthday she sacrifices to it and decks it with poppies. Go ye therefore into the desert, and seek Cleopatra in the shadow of the Sphinx, and on your heads see to it that no harm comes to her. To the Persian, may we believe this, O subtle one? Which way come the Romans? Over the desert, from the sea. To Tata Tita. O mother of guile, O aspic's tongue, you have made up this tale so that we too may go into the desert and perish on the spears of the romans lifting his knife taste death not from thee baby she snatches his ankle from under him and flies stooping along the palace wall vanishing in the darkness within its precinct belafris roars with laughter as the persian tumbles the guardsmen rush out of the palace with Belzenor, and a mob of fugitives, mostly carrying bundles. Have you found Cleopatra? She is gone. We have searched every corner. Appearing at the door of the palace. Woe, alas! 
Fly, fly! What is the matter now? The sacred white cat has been stolen. Whoa, whoa! General panic. They all fly with cries of consternation. The torch is thrown down and extinguished in the rush. Darkness. The noise of the fugitives dies away. Dead silence. Suspense. Then the blackness and stillness breaks softly into silver mist and strange airs as the wind-swept harp of Memnon plays at the dawning of the moon. It rises full over the desert. A vast horizon comes into relief, broken by a huge shape, which soon reveals itself in the spreading radiance as a sphinx pedestaled on the sands. The light still clears, until the upraised eyes of the image are distinguished, looking straight forward and upward, in infinite, fearless vigil, and a mass of color between its great paws defines itself as a heap of red poppies, on which a girl lies motionless, her silken vest heaving gently and regularly with the breathing of a dreamless sleeper, and her braided hair glittering in a shaft of moonlight, like a bird's wing. Suddenly there comes from afar a vaguely fearful sound. It might be the bellow of a minotaur, softened by great distance, and Memnon's music stops. Silence. Then a few faint, high-ringing trumpet notes. Then silence again. Then a man comes from the south with stealing steps, ravished by the mystery of the night, all wonder, and halts, lost in contemplation, opposite the left flank of the sphinx, whose bosom, with its burden, is hidden from him by its massive shoulder. Hail, Sphinx! Salutation from Julius Caesar. I have wandered in many lands, seeking the lost regions from which my birth into this world exiled me, and the company of creatures such as I myself. I have found flocks and pastures, men and cities, but no other Caesar, no heir native to me, no man kindred to me none who can do my day's deed and think my night's thought in the little world yonder sphinx my place is as high as yours in this great desert only i wander and you sit still i conquer and you endure i work and wonder you watch and wait i look up and am dazzled look down and am darkened look round and am puzzled whilst your eyes never turn from looking out out of the world to the lost region the home from which we have strayed sphinx you and i strangers to the race of men are no strangers to one another have i not been conscious of you and of this place since i was born rome is a madman's dream this is my reality. 
these starry lamps of yours i have seen from afar in gaul in britain in spain in thessaly signalling great secrets to some eternal sentinel below whose post i never could find and here at last is their sentinel an image of the constant and immortal part of my life silent full of thoughts alone in the silver desert sphinx sphinx i have climbed mountains at night to hear in the distance the stealthy footfall of the winds that chase your sands in forbidden play our invisible children o sphinx laughing in whispers my way hither was the way of destiny for i am he of whose genius you are the symbol part brute part woman and part god nothing of man in me at all have i read your riddle sphinx the girl who has wakened and peeped cautiously from her nest to see who is speaking old gentleman starting violently and clutching his sword immortal gods old gentleman don't run away stupefied old gentleman don't run away this to julius caesar urgently old gentleman sphinx you presume on your centuries i am younger than you though your voice is but a girl's voice as yet climb up here quickly or the romans will come and eat you running forward past the sphinx's shoulder and seeing her a child at its breast a divine child come up quickly you must get up at its side and creep round amazed who are you cleopatra queen of egypt queen of the gypsies you mean you must not be disrespectful to me or the sphinx will let the romans eat you come up it is quite cosy here to himself what a dream what a magnificent dream only let me not wake and i will conquer ten continents to pay for dreaming it out to the end he climbs the sphinx's flank and presently reappears to her on the pedestal stepping round its right shoulder take care that's right now sit down you may have its other paw she seats herself comfortably on its left paw it is very powerful and will protect us but shivering with plaintive loneliness it would not take any notice of me or keep me company i am glad you have come i was very lonely did you happen to see a white cat anywhere sitting slowly down on the right paw in extreme wonderment have you lost one yes the sacred white cat is it not dreadful i brought him here to sacrifice him to the sphinx but when we got a little way from the city a black cat called him and he jumped out of my arms and ran away to it do you think that the black cat can have been my great-great-great-grandmother staring at her your great-great-great-grandmother well why not nothing would surprise me on this night of nights i think it must have been my great-grandmother's great-grandmother was a black kitten of the sacred white cat and the river nile made her his seventh wife that is why my hair is so wavy and i always want to be let do as i like no matter whether it is the will of the gods or not that is because my blood is made with nile water what are you doing here at this time of night do you live here 
of course not i am the queen and i shall live in the palace at alexandria when i have killed my brother who drove me out of it when i am old enough i shall do just what i like i shall be able to poison the slaves and see them wriggle and pretend to fatatita that she is going to be put into the fiery furnace hmm. meanwhile why are you not at home and in bed because the romans are coming to eat us all you are not at home and in bed either with conviction yes i am i live in a tent and am now in that tent fast asleep and dreaming do you suppose that i believe you are real you impossible little dream witch giggling and leaning trustfully towards him you are a funny old gentleman i like you ah that spoils the dream why don't you dream that i am young i wish you were only i think i should be more afraid of you i like men especially young men with round strong arms but i am afraid of them you are old and rather thin and stringy but you have a nice voice and i like to have somebody to talk to though i think you are a little mad it is the moon that makes you talk to yourself in that silly way what you heard that did you i was saying my prayers to the great sphinx but this isn't the great sphinx much disappointed looking up at the statue what this is only a dear little kitten of the sphinx why the great sphinx is so big that it has a temple between its paws this is my pet sphinx tell me do you think the romans have any sorcerers who could take us away from the sphinx by magic why are you afraid of the romans very seriously oh they would eat us if they caught us they are barbarians their chief is called julius caesar his father was a tiger and his mother a burning mountain and his nose is like an elephant's trunk caesar involuntarily rubs his nose they all have long noses and ivory tusks and little tails and seven arms with a hundred arrows in each and they live on human flesh would you like me to show you a real roman terrified no you are frightening me no matter this is only a dream excitedly it is not a dream it is not a dream see see she plucks a pin from her hair and jabs it repeatedly into his arm stop wrathfully how dare you abashed you said you were dreaming whimpering i only wanted to show you gently come come don't cry a queen mustn't cry he rubs his right arm wondering at the reality of the smart am i awake he strikes his hand against the sphinx to test its solidity it feels so real that he begins to be alarmed and says perplexedly yes i quite panic-stricken no impossible madness madness desperately back to camp to camp he rises to spring down from the pedestal flinging her arms in terror round him no you shan't leave me no 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 don't go i'm afraid afraid of the romans as the conviction that he is really awake forces itself on him cleopatra can you see my face well yes it is so white in the moonlight are you sure it is the moonlight that makes me look whiter than an egyptian grimly 
Do you notice that I have a rather long nose? Recoiling, paralyzed by a terrible suspicion. Oh! It is a Roman nose, Cleopatra. Ah! With a piercing scream, she springs up, darts round the left shoulder of the sphinx, scrambles down to the sand, and falls on her knees in frantic supplication, shrieking. Bite him in two, sphinx! Bite him in two! I meant to sacrifice the white cat. I did indeed. I— Caesar, who has slipped down from the pedestal, touches her on the shoulder. She buries her head in her arms. Cleopatra, shall I teach you a way to prevent Caesar from eating you? Clinging to him piteously. Oh, do, do, do. I will steal Fatatita's jewels and give them to you. I will make the river Nile water your lands twice a year. Peace, peace, my child. Your gods are afraid of the Romans. You see, the Sphinx dare not bite me, nor prevent me carrying you off to Julius Caesar. In pleading murmurings. You won't. You won't. You said you wouldn't. Caesar never eats women. Springing up full of hope. What? Impressively. But he eats girls. She relapses. And cats. Now. You are a silly little girl, and you are descended from the black kitten. You are both a girl and a cat. Trembling. And will he eat me? Yes, unless you make him believe that you are a woman. Oh, you must get a sorcerer to make a woman of me. Are you a sorcerer? Perhaps, but it will take a long time, and this very night you must stand face to face with Caesar in the palace of your father's. No, no, I daren't. Whatever dread may be in your soul, however terrible Caesar may be to you, you must confront him as a brave woman and a great queen, and you must feel no fear. If your hand shakes, if your voice quavers, then night and death. She moans. But if he thinks you worthy to rule, he will set you on the throne by his side, and make you the real ruler of Egypt. Despairingly. No, he will find me out. He will find me out. Rather mournfully. He is easily deceived by women. Their eyes dazzle him, and he sees them not as they are, but as he wishes them to appear to him. Hopefully. Then we will cheat him. I will put on Fatatita's headdress, and he will think me quite an old woman. If you do that, he will eat you at one mouthful. But I will give him a cake with my magic opal, and seven hairs of the white cat baked in it, and— Abruptly. Ay, you are a little fool. He will eat your cake, and you too. He turns contemptuously from her, running after him and clinging to him. Oh, please, please, I will do whatever you tell me. I will be good. I will be your slave. Again. The terrible, bellowing note sounds across the desert, now closer at hand. It is the Buccina, the Roman war-trumpet. Hark! Trembling. What was that? Caesar's voice. Pulling at his hand. Let us run away. Come, oh, come! You are safe with me until you stand on your throne to receive Caesar. Now lead me thither only too glad to get away. I will, I will. 
again the Buccina. Oh, come, come, come! The gods are angry. Do you feel the earth shaking? It is the tread of Caesar's legions. Drawing him away. This way, quickly, and let us look for the white cat as we go. It is he that has turned you into a Roman. Incorrigible, oh, incorrigible. Away! He follows her, the Buccina sounding louder as they steal across the desert. The moonlight wanes. The horizon again shows black against the sky, broken only by the fantastic silhouette of the Sphinx. The sky itself vanishes in darkness, from which there is no relief until the gleam of a distant torch falls on great Egyptian pillars supporting the roof of a majestic corridor. At the further end of this corridor, a Nubian slave appears carrying the torch. Caesar, still led by Cleopatra, follows him. They come down the corridor, Caesar peering keenly about at the strange architecture, and at the pillar shadows between which, as the passing torch makes them hurry noiselessly backwards, figures of men with wings and hawks' heads and vast black marble cats seem to flit in and out of ambush. Further along, the wall turns a corner, and makes a spacious transept, in which Caesar sees, on his right, a throne, and behind the throne, a door. On each side of the throne is a slender pillar with a lamp on it. What place is this? This is where I sit on the throne when I am allowed to wear my crown and robes. The slave holds his torch to show the throne. Order the slave to light the lamps. Shyly. Do you think I may? Of course. You are the queen. She hesitates. Go on. Timidly to the slave. Light all the lamps. Suddenly, coming from behind the throne. Stop. The slave stops. She turns sternly to Cleopatra, who quails like a naughty child. Who is this you have with you? And how dare you order the lamps to be lighted without my permission? Cleopatra is dumb with apprehension. Who is she? Fatatita. Arrogantly. Chief nurse to... Cutting her short. I speak to the queen. Be silent. To Cleopatra. Is this how your servants know their places? Send her away. And you? To the slave. Do as the queen has bidden. The slave lights the lamps. Meanwhile Cleopatra stands hesitating, afraid of Tatatita. You are the queen. Send her away. Cajoling. Fatatita, dear, you must go away, just for a little. You are not commanding her to go away. You are begging her. You are no queen. You will be eaten. Farewell. He turns to go, clutching him. No, no, no. Don't leave me. A Roman does not stay with queens who are afraid of their slaves. I am not afraid. Indeed, I am not afraid. We shall see who is afraid here. Menacingly. Cleopatra. On your knees, woman. Am I also a child that you dare trifle with me? He points to the floor at Cleopatra's feet. Tatatita, half cowed, half savage, 
hesitates. Caesar calls to the Nubian. Slave! The Nubian comes to him. Can you cut off a head? The Nubian nods and grins ecstatically, showing all his teeth. Caesar takes his sword by the scabbard, ready to offer the hilt to the Nubian, and turns again to Tatatita, repeating his gesture. Have you remembered yourself, mistress? Tatatita, crushed, kneels before Cleopatra, who can hardly believe her eyes. Hoarsely, O queen, forget not thy servant in the days of thy greatness. Blazing with excitement, Go, be gone, go away. Tatatita rises with stooped head and moves backwards towards the door. Cleopatra watches her submission eagerly, almost clapping her hands, which are trembling. Suddenly she cries, Give me something to beat her with. She snatches a snakeskin from the throne and dashes after Tatatita, whirling it like a scourge in the air. Caesar makes a bound and manages to catch her and hold her while Tatatita escapes. You scratch, kitten, do you? Breaking with him. I will beat somebody. I will beat him. She attacks the slave. There, there, there. The slave flies for his life up the corridor and vanishes. She throws the snakeskin away and jumps on the step of the throne with her arms waving, crying, I am a real queen at last, a real, real queen, Cleopatra the queen. Caesar shakes his head dubiously, the advantage of the change seeming open to question from the point of view of the general welfare of Egypt. She turns and looks at him exultantly. Then she jumps down from the step, runs to him, and flings her arms round him rapturously, crying, Oh, I love you for making me a queen. But queens love only kings. I will make all the men I love kings. I will make you a king. I will have many young kings, with round, strong arms. And when I am tired of them, I will whip them to death. But you shall always be my king, my nice, kind, wise, proud old king. Oh, my wrinkles, my wrinkles, and my child's heart. You will be the most dangerous of all Caesar's conquests. Appalled. Caesar! I forgot Caesar. Anxiously. You will tell him that I am a queen, will you not? A real queen. Listen. Stealthily coaxing him. Let us run away and hide until Caesar is gone. If you fear Caesar, you are no true queen, and though you were to hide beneath a pyramid, he would go straight to it and lift it with one hand, and then he chops his teeth together trembling oh be afraid if you dare the note of the buccina resounds again in the distance she moans with fear caesar exults in it exclaiming aha caesar approaches the throne of cleopatra come take your place he takes her hand and leads her to the throne. She is too downcast to speak. Ho oh, there, Tee-Tota! How do you call your slaves? Spiritlessly, as she sinks on the throne and cowers there, shaking. 
Clap your hands. He claps his hands. Tatatita returns. Bring the queen's robes and her crown and her women and prepare her. Eagerly recovering herself a little. Yes, the crown, Fatatita. I shall wear the crown. For whom must the queen put on her state? For a citizen of Rome, a king of kings, Tota Tita. Stamping at her. How dare you ask questions? Go and do as you are told. Tata Tita goes out with a grim smile. Cleopatra goes on eagerly to Caesar. Caesar will know that I am a queen when he sees my crown and robes, will he not? No. How shall he know that you are not a slave dressed up in the queen's ornaments? You must tell him. He will not ask me. He will know Cleopatra by her pride, her courage, her majesty, and her beauty. She looks very doubtful. Are you trembling? Shivering with dread. No, I... I... In a very sickly voice. No. Tatatita and three women come in with the regalia. Of all the queen's women, these three alone are left. The rest are fled. They begin to deck Cleopatra, who submits, pale and motionless. Good, good. Three are enough. Poor Caesar generally has to dress himself. Contemptuously. The queen of Egypt is not a Roman barbarian. To Cleopatra. Be brave, my nursling. Hold up your head before this stranger. Admiring Cleopatra and placing the crown on her head. Is it sweet or bitter to be a queen, Cleopatra? Bitter. Cast out fear and you will conquer Caesar. Tota, are the Romans at hand? They are at hand, and the guard has fled. Wailing subduedly. Woe to us! The Nubian comes running down the hall. The Romans are in the courtyard. He bolts through the door. With a shriek, the women fly after him. Tatatita's jaw expresses savage resolution. She does not budge. Cleopatra can hardly restrain herself from following them. Caesar grips her wrist and looks steadfastly at her. She stands like a martyr. The queen must face Caesar alone. Answer, so be it. White. So be it. Releasing her. Good. A tramp and tumult of armed men is heard. Cleopatra's terror increases. The Buccina sounds close at hand, followed by a formidable clangor of trumpets. This is too much for Cleopatra. She utters a cry and darts towards the door. Tatatita stops her ruthlessly. You are my nursling. You have said, so be it. And if you die for it, you must make the queen's word good. She hands Cleopatra to Caesar, who takes her back almost beside herself with apprehension to the throne. Now, if you quail... He seats himself on the throne. She stands on the step, all but unconscious, waiting for death. The Roman soldiers troop in tumultuously through the corridor, headed by their ensign with his eagle, and their buccinator, 
a burly fellow with his instrument coiled round his body, its brazen bell shaped like the head of a howling wolf. When they reach the transept, they stare in amazement at the throne, dress into ordered rank opposite it, draw their swords and lift them in the air with the shout of, Hail, Caesar! Cleopatra turns and stares wildly at Caesar, grasps the situation, and with a great sob of relief, falls into his arms. End of Act One